hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we believe that budgeting is the most radical form of self-care one can do. I'm AJ Walbrum, here to introduce our incredible guest speaker, Emily Race. Emily is the co-founder of SaySpace, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultancy working with companies to create equity from the inside out. She also has her own private practice, where she supports folks in defining tangible actions that support their dreams, help them navigate transitions, and align with their intuitive leadership style. Her natural state of being is curious, empathetic, and a connector of people and ideas. She loves puzzles, writing, music, being in nature, and traveling around the country with her in a van with her fiancé, Charlie. Emily dreams of living in complete harmony with the earth, of being a good ancestor, and redefining what it means to be in business. She has worked with some of the largest Fortune 500 companies in the world, leading, strategizing, producing, and project managing everything from global advertising campaigns to executive leadership retreats. She is here to constantly learn and be in service. And feel free to reach out to her at emily at founding-mothers.com. We're so excited, so let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. And we're so excited to be here today with Emily Race. Hello. Hi, I'm so excited too. <laughs> <laughs> we're so excited to talk to you, hear your money story, and just learn a little bit more about you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you're up to and, and why you're here? Yes. Well, I'm here part one because AJ is one of my good friends. We've been friends for quite some time. So we have lots of conversations about money just casually over the years. And who I am in the world, I guess, is the co-founder of Safe Space, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultancy. Um, and I've been doing that with one of my best friends, Bianca, for we're going into three years in January. It's like crazy. Wow. wow. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I was just reflecting on that yesterday, actually, how a lot of people say that three years is like how long it takes to really get your business off the ground. So I'm like, I'm looking forward to year three being kind of that <laughs> final push. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well you're... it's definitely a relevant business for the times. We did not. I mean, we knew, but we didn't know. And, and I got to tell you, right when COVID hit, we were really like looking at how can we, you know, just prepare for some like a big hit. And then a couple months later, George Floyd got murdered and it was like, okay, mm -hmm. now there's actually a, an increase in demand. So you just never know <laughs> when yeah, something is really true. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm so, so happy for the increase in demand and I've seen it in my own workplace, like just the events of 2020 and how it's really shifted people's mindsets to be more, more diverse and really focus on inclusion. And mm. I think it's incredible. So I am so excited to learn more about what you do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I was just thinking about how our money story, I mean, our collective money story began like living in London and trying to budget oh. when it was so <laughs> expensive. And remember, we used to get that pizza that was mm -hmm. um, buy one, get one free and mm -hmm. we would split it. Yeah, and it was like four pounds and we would like eat it as like slowly as possible because we wanted to try and make like two meals out of it. Uh, oh, my God. Thank you for bringing that memory back into my brain. <laughs> I remember it so well. <laughs> that was so fun. I want to hear more about how you met because I actually don't know the story. I've oh, heard a little bit about the London Times, so I'm excited we, to hear this. We fell in love in London. We were um, we lived in a in a flat together. It was um, with how many people? <laughs> it was it was four in our bedroom. 
Oh my God. And two in the other bedroom. So there's six of us. And it was on the seventh floor of a walk up. Yep. It was 80, I think it was 87 stairs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you were like, I think you were there. You were the second person there. And yeah, it was like very real world style. And I remember AJ and I <laughs> fell in love because we both loved Harry Potter and it like came out pretty soon on that we loved <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, that's so, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm also a big, big Harry Potter fan, so I can join you on that train. <laughs> I love it. I love when, when I hear that connection. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, we we just like, uh, I think what was so wonderful about London was the simplicity of our life because mm-hmm. it was so expensive. It was when the pound was double or, or half of the US dollar. Mm-hmm. So like all of our money was just split in half and we would just like go for walks and we would just explore London. And it was just like a very simple time. I gotta tell you, ironically, I was going through my credit score, whatever, looking at all my open credit accounts. And I was like, what is this credit card? Like I, this doesn't line up with what my spreadsheet says. And so I call my dad. I'm like, I feel like I shared a, an account with my dad at one point. It's been open for like 15 years or whatever. It was the credit card. He's like, oh, that's the card I, g- I gave you so you could budget in London. I'm like, oh my God, close that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it really brought me back to like, I remember before we even left for that trip, my dad sat me down and he's like, okay, I'll give you this card, um, but you have to budget. And like, if you go over that budget, I'm going to cancel this card. And so I was definitely fortunate enough to even have that as an option with him. Um, Cause other than that, I usually just had to work for my own money, but it just reminded me of how like to live in that country, like you were saying, and want to explore and travel, but like, you really have to be smart with your money. Otherwise you would, you would find yourself shit out of luck right away. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was a good interlude. Cause you were bringing up how you used to work like to make your money. So I kind of feel yeah. like we should dive into your money story. Okay. Uh, where do I begin? I guess my money story begins always with the parents. Cause I remember my dad, like giving me 20 bucks to go to the movies or do something like that. He was like my first bank account. And then my mom very quickly was like, no, no. And they never seemed to be on the same page about this, but she was like adamant that I start working as soon as possible. So I think around 14, like initial working age, I got a job at CVS as a cashier and my piano teacher, I was taking piano since I was seven. And she's like, you know, you could start taking on some of my ex- excess students, the ones that she didn't want to take. Wow. So then I had this like cash flow coming in from teaching out of my living room. So I like very early on, I was like, oh, okay, you can kind of hustle for your own money. You can get the paycheck that gets heavily taxed. And you can do like this side thing where you're in charge of how much it costs and like have more autonomy. Um, and so then from there going into college, it kind of just stuck with me. And I, I always was working at a restaurant or the gap or doing whatever I could to, to have that spending cash and not relying on, on my parents. So, you know, I actually remember living in Ithaca with eight, nine girls. And like, it was only myself and one other of the roommates that would actually get up early in between classes and go work. And I always felt like, Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> Where did you work in at Ithaca? Two different, I hopped around a lot as I still do now. Like I, I did two different restaurants and then a retail job at Gap. So funny. I worked at um, Miyaki and oh, yeah, and, uh, and Taste of Thai <laughs> Express. Mm. Ithaca Ale House and 
the one that was on the corner, I forget its name, got hit by an 18-wheeler at one point. Oh, my, oh my God. God. <laughs> yeah, luckily I was not there. Oh, my God. That's crazy. <sighs> when you were in, like, high school, even middle school, I guess, if you were 14 or early high school, yeah. and you were making that money, like, what were you doing with it? And how did you learn what to do with your money? Because, <laughs> as you'll learn about me... <laughs> Um, I also have always worked, but I was just such a spender and yeah. like was never taught to save. I would just like, it was like money in money out. So I'm very interested to learn like what you were doing with your money and where that came from. Yeah. That's such a good question. Cause it was actually also for spending. Like my mom would say, Oh, if you want that shirt or you want whatever that CD, then you have to save up to buy it. But the cash, I actually remember always saving the cash from the piano lessons because it was just easy to like pocket that to the side. Um, but it really wasn't until London that but that budgeting experience I just told you about that I started actually understanding the the need to save. But mm-hmm. then I also learned the need to just blow it all. <laughs> yeah, the temptations are so much more when you're like going to Croatia as opposed totally. to like going to, you know, the mall. Well, that trip, you know, again, like the privilege and I'm always reflecting on it, but it was really about living in the moment by the end of it, because I was like, oh, I don't know when I'll be back here. And you know what, like, let's not be living so such in a scarcity mindset and like, let's really enjoy where we are. But I ended up paying that back for that for a while. (laughs) Same. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've all been there. (laughs) Um, So, so you had your little side hustle and then. And then I guess you get into the, the real world and you get like a real person job. When does that happen? And like, what does that look like? So my real, it's so funny because in Ithaca senior year, we had in our house, like a giant wall paper thing that was, we want to manifest. So we were listening to the secret at the time and we were like, we wrote all the things we want to manifest. And it was everything from like boyfriends to, I ended up putting on there an internship at Anomaly in New York because this ad agency I toured it as part of our classes and just like fell in love with the culture of it, just walking into the office. And so a week before graduation, I was like, oh, I need to figure out what I'm doing. So I, I remember throwing up on the wall, like I want to work at Anomaly. And I ended up having to leave them, write them an email. It was an alum connection. So I, I wrote one of the founders an email and I said, hey, you know, I will literally clean out your fridge if I have to. I just want to be in your company and learn from you. So I got a, an I don't know if it was fully unpaid. It was definitely low paid internship after graduating. And that was another instance of like, I I stayed in student housing in the financial district in New York, just because that was the cheapest housing option. And I definitely was not getting paid enough to live there, but I did end up getting a full-time job maybe like six months after that. Oh, well, through Amelie. Yeah. And then Anomaly. 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 (laughs) I know. (laughs) I was like, me. I don't think so. I was like, they are the same name. They're the same name in my head. Um, And that was in the city. And then when did you move to California? Maybe like a year and a half after that. I remember, I don't know if you have this experience ever being in a city, but I woke up looking out the window at brick walls and I'm like, I love nature. (laughs) I cannot be here. So I just kind of made that happen. I actually again, through another connection at my current job, got an interview with Media Arts Lab in LA, which is Apple's ad agency. And so I just did a couple rounds of interviews, got hired for that, 
took like a role cut. I had to like go back in my title, but, um, but I got paid maybe a little bit more and then moved out there. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what have you been doing since? I mean, that's like, God, eight years ago at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Eight to 10, 10 since we graduated almost. I don't know what is time. Um, since then, I mean, I've honestly, I, I spent a good number of years in the advertising industry and I got to the point where, you know, that internal itch of like, I don't really see happiness at the levels above me. And I also don't see, like, I have so much to give and I have so much creativity and I, I couldn't actually do that in the, the roles I was given. So I quit and I went back to the restaurant industry <laughs> and I just waited tables for six months because I was like, you know, remembering the times at Ethica, I'm like, I know that this is easy cash in, you know, it won't be, a, it won't be a salary, but it will be something while I kind of figure out what I want. And then through that path, I got certified as a yoga instructor, which was kind of more of like a passion than a career choice. And fate would have it that in that training, I met someone who was like, oh, you should do talent development, which is basically coaching and training within, within the company that I used to work at. So it just was like this very nonlinear path of kind of following my gut, listening to my body. And then all of that eventually led to saying, you know what, I am completely done with my time as an employee. I'm ready to own my own business. So that's when Safe Space started two years ago. How did you know that you were an entrepreneur and that you could hack it as an entrepreneur? I mean, I always think back to that piano teaching experience because that, like, I remember having a recital with 20 students and sitting in the back and thinking like, I taught all of these people and I managed the client, AKA their parents. And I, you know, I just figured it out. So I, and I also, you know, you may relate to this, but it's just that kind of when you look around the world and you're like, I do not agree with 80% of what I'm seeing here. So I'm going to do something about that. That was always there. Yeah. yeah. Relate to that wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you think were some major beliefs you had around money growing up and how do you think they've shifted and when did they shift? Hmm. Beliefs about money growing up. I mean, I still reflect on this today because I do feel like healing around money is such an ongoing process because there's a lot of scarcity thinking in my family and no shade to them. I just think that that probably comes from like generations of even trauma around, around finances and whatever happened. But, um, but yeah, I definitely came from like a, a way of thinking that money is really hard to get. You have to work hard to get it. It's scarce. And then over time, really putting a lot of intention to shifting it to like, Oh, money is abundant and it come, it can come from anywhere. And like it, there's no limit to what money's just energy. There's no limit to it. So even that way I feel as I talk about that now, you can hear that it like is uplifting versus like, very dense. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. That's a big shift. If you had to choose one word to describe your relationship with money now, what would it be? Abundant. <laughs> what I a great smile. word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to commit to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So you have an incredible um, life partner, Charlie. Yeah. And um, I'm curious as, so you guys have been together three or four years now. I met him maybe six months before I ended up quitting and starting Safe Space. So almost three, I don't know. Coming on three years. <laughs> Not that <right>? long. <laughs> um, and 
but I mean, you spend every day with him and totally. you literally, I think, I mean, you should tell this, but you caravaned yeah. for the entire pandemic, basically. Or yeah. was it even before the pandemic? Before that, because that was before. a dream of mine to like, actually right before I met him, I was like, I'm going to get rid of all my material possessions, live in a van and travel and like do that thing. And then when I met him, he actually got on board with it and he's like, let's do it. So we got in a van, which was actually loaned to us. Like, again, law of attraction, it just showed up that someone we knew had a van in storage and they were like, just borrow it for like two months and it's an engagement gift. And we were like, okay. Um, and we, you know, meanwhile, had been actually saving up for this whole trip. So that that was like a, kind of our first toe dip into what van life was like. And then we later on bought that van and now basically we live in it. We don't have any rent anywhere. We're just traveling around as we speak. How does that work with working and like having this business and what does he do and how does that all work? Well, so we are both business owners, entrepreneurs. So we have a lot of flexibility in our schedule, but again, like my businesses and his right now is very busy. So Um, We have realized this go around. The first trip was more of a vacation. This trip is very much like we need to be, you know, at his parents' house like we are now or wherever that we can plant during the week, get our work done. And we're definitely in planning mode for for getting our own land or a house or something so that we can settle down. That's awesome. (laughs) Such a wonderful thing to experience, certainly on my bucket list. I also would love to hear a little bit about like, what the planning was like for that and what saving was like for that because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that think that that would be a really interesting thing to do in the future so any advice with that would be great I mean like with anything just first putting it out there that you want to do this and then starting to do your research and look at like what are the options because you can rent a van you can also maybe you have a friend that will lend you one or if you want to purchase one there's like a wide range of fully already done like you you buy it off the lot and you can go or you you know you get like an empty shell and you make it a project and you build it out yourself so yeah. you know for me like the build out was always alluring we didn't end up doing that but that's there's so many different routes you can take and i i'm so big on community like tap into a community of people that are that is doing this like i toured other people's bands they showed me what they did and i learned from talking to people for so long that um you know, people are so happy to share their experience. And and then the, about the budget, I will say that there are, there's like a cheap way to do that trip and a very bougie way to do that trip. And it's kind of like whatever works for you. You know, it, I will say though, that the cost of living on the road primarily comes from like things breaking in your van and mm-hmm. gas, um, which can obviously be like a, a range of costs unexpectedly. But other than that, it's like, you could sleep in a Walmart parking lot and not pay anything. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it would be super important to kind of have an emergency fund in place in case something breaks or just like have money set aside for the what ifs. (laughs) Yeah. Do that. And there, there's some resources I can send if you want to put it in the notes or something, because absolutely. Yeah. They do breakdowns uh, on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Also, I'm just interested. Where have you, where have you gone? Pretty much the entire country. (laughs) So amazing and we stayed with AJ for we came and had dinner with her for a night which was such a treat you (laughs) made the dinner it was the best risotto like I've ever had oh yum (laughs) it was so yum it was that was such an amazing night it was just Mm. the perfect DC night pre-COVID where everybody just comes over there's food there's music 
there's drinking, there's like, it's just casual, it's easy. Um, and then you guys were there. And so that was my first time meeting Charlie. And um, he's a really animated, big personality. And yeah. <laughs> he's been an entrepreneur a lot longer than you and I have. So what do you think have been some of the meshings of your beliefs around money together? And also literally spending every single day together, basically your entire relationship. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you think has like stuck on you and what do you think is stuck on him? Oh my gosh. So entering our relationship, I, I could tell like we have very different mindsets on a mon on money right away. And I almost felt like for him, money is like an act of love. And, and for me, that wasn't this case. Um, so I already was very aware of that. But then when it came to me starting my own business, he made it look so easy that I actually kind of like stepped into it thinking like, this will be no problem. I will make a ton of money. I'll make more than I made in my salary job right away. And so that was like the first misstep where I had to really learn that like, okay, here's someone who's been in business or has been running a business way longer than I have. Um, and I, we were just laughing because the last time or the first time I came to this condo in Florida, it was when I started Safe Space and I had a complete meltdown on the floor crying because I got off a call with Bianca. We're, we're literally walking blind to this, like have no idea what we're doing. We don't even have a bank account yet. And Charlie was like, you do not have a business, you have a hobby. And I was like, it hurt me. I was like, what? <laughs> and, and I just remember being so mad at him because I'm like, how dare you, you know, say that. But it was very good advice. It was a very good call out because even though it took us a while, Bianca and I were like, okay, how do we make this a business and not a hobby? And that, I think that's the thing a lot of people struggle with when they go out to start something like this. Yeah. And what was the <laughs> same question? I love it. What was that shift? Like, like what made mm -hmm. your, what turned your hobby into a business? Well, getting a, a bank account, which took us six months to do, <laughs> we were like, probably time to open that up. Um, which immediately after we booked our first big client. So it was like that perfect law of attraction. You have to have a place for it to go to. Um, and then the other shifts were, I mean, we're still in it, but like really knowing how to price ourselves, like in a way that doesn't price people out, but also like matches what we need to make to sustain the business and shifting from a single operator mindset to like, oh, we're running a business, not like I'm not taking whatever we make doesn't go into my pocket. It goes into mm -hmm. the business, into, you know, the government, into our, our contractors expenses, like the next phase. So all of that's really been like a trial by fire thing. Um, and even like navigating, not a spreadsheet, but QuickBooks and like getting all the infrastructure in place so that now we can really be, you know, just flowing versus like trying to navigate it day to day. But you yeah. started the business before you had all that in place. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. I find I don't that recommend it. <laughs> well, I find that a lot of people have like such analysis paralysis with yeah, starting true. things because they feel like they need to have the website and yes. the all the systems in place but then they but then they they invest all this time and money and then they don't even actually take the plunge or people don't oh. actually want the product or they don't want the service um, i'm laughing because i gotta interrupt you because i hear charlie's voice in my head he's like well you're sharpening your pencils i'm gonna go out there and make money and like that's exactly what you're describing is people, who, you know, myself included, they have to have everything perfect before you can start. But there's also the part in me, which is the entrepreneurial side, which is like, let's just do it and figure it out. 
and we'll figure it out and we'll figure it out. And that's literally how you have to do things. So I do recommend having like more of a savings plan beforehand because we didn't have that in place and we thought it would be easier. But to, to a large extent, you do have to just start. I agree. Um, so what is it like working with a business partner and how the financials like and working with a business partner on the financials because um, mm -hmm. most people in life go through life without talking about money like ever I know people who are married who don't talk about money mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and you're like in a partnership with somebody outside of your family unit who you talk probably about money with all of the time yep. so what's that like we joke that she's we joke that I'm married to two people, Charlie and Bianca, because it's true. <laughs> like we share everything. And one of our first, probably first 30 days of starting Safe Space together, we went on a road trip. And so we had a lot of car time, talking time. And we were um, talking about how, as one of our goals, we want to pay off our debt. So she had a ton of student loans still, and I have a, a ton of credit card debt. And so we had to get honest about like, well, what's that amount? What's that amount? And, you know, I was ashamed to even share it with her, but now the credit card debt is paid off. And we were just laughing at how, like, what a shift it's been for us in our partnership to just, it's really no significance. Like we need to talk freely. We've had even difficult conversations around how much we want to make. So, you know, coming from that scarcity mindset, being women for her being a woman of color, it's like a lot of, in, um, we get ingrained with a lot of things around what we should charge and how we should, what money means and money's bad and all of this stuff. So, and then for us, you know, we're, we're literally doing work to against a lot of the systems, including capitalism. Sometimes we question like, you know, can't, is there really a good version of capitalism out there? And so we get in these like head swirls. Right. And so knowing that we have to kind of set aside weekly time to be like, let's get honest about what we need. Um, and it's taken, like you said, very difficult conversations, like any intimate relationship, but on the other end of those is like, okay, now we're vibing on the same level. We got this. And we're really in a place now where it, we are so aligned and it shows because things are just showing up. We have like a clear process and there's nothing but joy for us because we're not bogged down by all the things that we're avoiding. So it's great. Ah, that is a good line. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, and can we backtrack a little bit? And, yeah. and maybe AJ knows more than me, but can we talk about the why behind Safe Space and like why you created this business? What made the two of you decide you wanted to start this together? Yes. I mean, there's a number of reasons, but I think for me at the time, at the time that this first came into my thought space was the fact that I was working in talent development. So I'm already doing trainings in a company and I'm doing a lot of listening to mm -hmm. what to employees and not just the leadership level, but every level I would go for lunches and coffees and talk to people. And I would hear like a lot of what's not working in the company. And then through time, um, I initially wanted to help women in the workplace, which is a classic, I think white woman thing to, to want to do. But then I totally. ended up taking a racial equity training myself. And I was like completely floored, like completely put into my place and I was like, okay, great. Like I have a lot of work to do. And, and then I started listening differently in the company. And I started listening specifically to the black employees, the non-black people of color in the company, like really hearing how their specific challenges were even more so. And it really <laughs> pissed me off. I was like so angry 
Um, and at the same time, having conversations with Bianca, who's my friend, who's a black woman. And so she and I just started being like, well, what can we do about this? And we, we started hosting conversations inside the company. It was a training, but honestly, it was like, we talked about our emotions. We talked about our past experiences of race and, and we just found such an ease at it, even though it was also very challenging that at one point she and I were at, at another training, you know, investing in ourselves around racial equity. And we just, again, we're crying, like having a really heart to heart, hard heart to heart moment and committed to each other that we're going to just do this. We're just going <laughs> to start our own consultancy because we have a big vision for what, what's possible around this. So, um, and then, and then there was moments after that, right? Like actually putting in our notice, actually opening the bank account. But, um, I think we're so much on the journey now of like being in a space where people have been doing this work for decades, like way before our time. And we're fairly new to it. We're young and we also have a slightly different perspective. I'm also a white woman in this space. So I'm constantly navigating like, what is my role? Um, which tends to be even more so like infrastructure in the scene, behind the scenes, right? But also talking to other white people. And I think like we're finally getting into a groove where we're owning our voice, which is def definitely correlating to our finances because we're just being authentic around this is what we believe and it complements other people, but it doesn't always, it's not always like aligned with what we think we're supposed to say. Um, so I think finding our voice in this space has definitely helped us actually have a business as well versus like doing, looking at externally, like what should we be saying all the time? Yeah. How do you think our two businesses align? Oh my gosh. Well, the authenticity is the first thing that pops into my head. You know, when I look at your business, I see a lot of just honesty and humanity and getting to the root of like what, what's coming up for people. Um, everything is like emotional. Everything is in the body. Everything has a story to it. So I see a lot of, of a shared approach in that way. Totally. Yeah. And when you're doing trainings or just like thinking about what you want to teach companies or like share with companies, do you talk about money? Do you talk about the wage gap? Or is that mm. something that you look into or have thoughts about? Love yeah, so that's a, that's a perfect example of that, not like the wage gap analysis is not our specific niche. We are more focused on, because we come from coaching backgrounds, like empowering mm -hmm. leaders, coaching, and not just the top, right? The higher, the traditional hierarchy top, but really leaders at every level, at every role of how they can step into cha making change happen from taking into account their identity and their sphere of influence. So for someone that we're coaching, they may be working in HR and they may decide to lead then a wage analysis gap. And that's kind of our way of getting to it. But we also will refer other people that, from our network into the mix to say, oh, work with this consultant who, spe who specifically works with that, um, which is again in that whole theory of community and everyone has a role to play. Yeah, so it's like that combination of networking, but also empowering from within. You're empowering like, from within yes yeah, like, go, <laughs> like go seek what it is that you need and i i said this to bianca the other day i was like i just feel like you know we focus for a couple years on the company the company how can we help the company and we always felt off by it it was like we'd constantly struggle with like do we really want to help these giant corporations or is it the people in the corporation so we've recently adopted this idea of liberating the people within the company and from that place, the company itself will thrive. And if the company's not able, like any relationship to meet the employees where 
where their new liberated selves are, that then they will leave the company. And that's the company's, you know, that's their problem. <laughs> but our desire is to liberate from within with the employees first. I love that. That I mean, yeah. that's the key. You can try. Yeah. I was listening to, did you watch Becoming? Um, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and, she, and everybody asked her, they're like, I feel so, you know, like this guy was like, I walk into school and everybody's wearing Trump hats and everybody's wearing, you know, and I feel so um, unseen and unheard. And she basically is like, like, go, you need to go within, like, you cannot change the other. And, she, and like, everybody kept coming to her and being like this person or this thing or this entity is affecting the way that I view myself. And she's like, you have to change the way you view yourself. Yeah. Like yes. you have. And I was just like, I couldn't believe. And I really feel like she's in her, her light. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's something that me and you believe in a lot. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, we've always had those conversations. It's do the work, do the work, do the work. Yeah. Ugh. I have so many tangents on this, but I don't want to stray too much. No, go stray. <laughs> no, please go for it. I, yeah. I mean, even like, so the Trump conversation, because here we are, you know, right after this election and it's such a divisive time period. And so that's why our work at Safe Space has also been so focused on communication period because, and it's really challenging because there's times when, you know, I hear something in a session I'm leading and I want to make that person wrong or correct them. But our ethos is that you don't do that. Our ethos is that there's multiple perspectives, multiple versions of the truth. From that place, how can we get curious? We have these three pillars. How can you get curious? How can you be authentic? And how can you take responsibility um, in every conversation? And so there's Trump employee, there's Trump employees, there's Trump supporters and <laughs> companies, right? There's employees who are Trump supporters who may not be wearing the hat or maybe they are. And so I often hear like these, you know, blanket statements of like, oh, I don't know. It's basically creating more fear, more separation and more of the things that we don't want. And so um, that was just the first thing that came to mind. But again, that's also going hand in hand with knowing yourself and having to know like, because otherwise it's so easy to get threatened and want to and get defensive when you're, when you feel like what someone else is saying is an attack at your beliefs. But if you're strong in your beliefs and if you know who you are, you're just witnessing another person and another soul in their beliefs. And it's not like a threat to your own. So that was my tangent. <laughs> that was my TED talk. It was great. Amazing tangent, honestly. Thanks. I mean, yeah, it's so true. And it's also so hard. <laughs> it's like, that's where the work comes in because it's, yeah. it's not, I feel like it's not human nature to go within. It's like we're, we live in this society where people are like always going outwards. Mm -hmm. So like turning that within yourself is tough, but it's, that is the work. Oh, that's, that relates to money too. It's like, we look out outwards and then, you know, the spending, I, I don't know if you ever talk about consumerism and like the need to purchase things to like oh, yeah. fill the inner hall. Yeah, I mean, Black Friday's coming up right now. We could talk yeah. about that. It's like, it's just, yeah, it's so crazy. And I've certainly been there before. And um, I mean, I talked, I've talked about this a little bit, but like one of the darkest times in my life was like right after college and also the time where I spent the most money in my mm -hmm. life because I was feeling so like depressed and anxious and not knowing what I was going to do with my life. And therefore I spent and like yeah. bought stuff because I felt like I needed to fill this hole and like recognizing that in myself and realizing that I can 
you know, look within myself and fill that in a much healthier and like different ways that are actually fulfilling. It's just like changed my entire life. Totally. Ugh. So true. Um, I think that uh, it's sad that depression and, and, and debt or depression mm-hmm. and, and overconsumption of spending have not been correlated enough. Like there's not enough <laughs> research around that, which is just really sad um, because it's, obviously they're so correlated. Um, I, I think about the times when I'm, I've been happiest in my life and it's always when I've had less and I had to work within those means as opposed to having more. Like when I graduated college, I had more money than I had ever had in my whole life. And I was so miserable, um, Mm -hmm. because I just wanted more and more and more. And I just think when you were talking about your, your ancestral, um, scarcity mind mindset, and I just think about, our grand, our great grandparents, our generation's great grandparents were, most of them were working class to the point of like, but working class is not the same as working class now. Like mm-hmm. the working class lived in a tenement mm-hmm. with their like sisters and brothers and all their kids. Mm-hmm. And a working class now is somebody who has a TV in every bedroom, um, you know, all the electronics, everybody has a smartphone, everybody has things. Mm-hmm. Um, and where we've come and we just have more than we've ever had before. And I don't even think we know what to do with it. You know, as you were saying that I, cause again, my filter is always through racial equity and I'm looking at mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, that's a very Eurocentric, per- perhaps I'm making an assumption, but a Eurocentric perspective versus like other people who are in this country and their generation, a few generations back were enslaved. And so yeah. then how that, how different that narrative is. And it's, you know, again, nothing wrong. It's like, ooh, this is why we need to solve certain issues from that root level to be like, well, where do we come from? And, um, you know, one thing I'm actually researching because I'm always a student as well, and I'm really looking into native reparations. Like, how can I, because I, part of me is like, I just want to give land back to Native Americans. Yeah. It's like, you, this is your land, oh God, please. Yeah. You know, so, but there's not, it's, that is not as national of a conversation as it needs to be. And so right now, coming from a place of abundance consciousness, it's like, okay, there's plenty to go around. How can I be a channel to like really bring back that, that justice in a very tangible way? So more to I think come. that's <laughs> what's great about money. I think that's what's great yeah. about resources is that it's, it's so easy to be like, here's love and light. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Mm-hmm. And that, and that funnels those places, but also like, I want to physically give you this, you know, I was listening to um, Malcolm Gladwell podcast episode and they were saying that um that there was a guy who was a historian and I can't think of the name but he um he basically said every person every black person in the country needs eight like 800 not needs but um every black every black person in the country got eight hundred thousand dollars that would that would like level up the playing field the playing fields yeah. Which is like so crazy to mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's crazy. And it's also like, I personally, to speak to my journey around it, have gone through the guilt and the shame and the helplessness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now I'm in a phase of the cycle where I'm like, let, this is exciting. This is a problem to solve. Like, oh, and th- there's so much, so many experts around it where I'm definitely not going to be able to speak to it in the most, you know, in the best way. But there are so many experts who are actively day to day out looking at that reparations model from multiple angles. And, um, and yeah, so hopefully 
this is a ripple effect from here. We see more of that. Yeah. And if anything, I feel like this conversation is just such a, I mean, just like educate yourself, (laughs) do the work for yourself because there's so many people who are doing the research and like putting information out there. And so it's like our individual responsibility to educate ourselves and to like do what we can to just like learn about what's going on and like what has Mm -hmm. happened. It's just like, it's a personal responsibility at this point. Well, that's such a great point. And I want to tap into our resource, which is Emily. And what are (laughs) resources that people can have? Because it's like, you know, it can be really overwhelming when you don't know where to begin researching. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that prevents you from starting. Like, um, so where, where do you think are great places that people can start? Yeah. I always tell people to start where you are. And that means like, what, look at yourself. What do you actually enjoy talking about currently? So if you're someone who loves talking about personal finances and how to help people, you know, have freedom around finances, then look at racial equity through financial lens. Or if you're someone who is a writer or loves books or reads like weekly all the time, start just reading book, check your, check your bookshelf to see what, what does the representation look like in those authors? Like, do you need to have more Mexican American authors? Do you need to have more black female writers? Like what are, what are the perspectives missing? And then from there, it's honestly just a journey that looks different for everyone. That's why I actually really struggle. And so does Bianca with companies who are like, give us the checklist. Cause we're like, there is no checklist. <laughs> you just have to be on the journey of discovery. And we're, we've honestly been fit, fed so many lies. If like through our educational system, religious lies, like there's so many lies that have been out there. And I say that to mean that like, we have to be the ones to determine what is truth and, and what are other perspectives missing from these narratives. So, yeah. yeah. I so, mean, so- even if you think about like, high school like the reading list that you were given in mm-hmm. your English classes and how that's the books are written by predominantly white men and yeah. some white women but then it's like that's the extent of the reading list and it's like let's go back and actually like redo the authors that we're reading you know like there's so there's so many mm-hmm. more stories to be told than what we've been taught and it's it's like you got to educate yourself that's so interesting. I actually think my school did a really good job. I hated the English department, but I actually feel like we had a really diverse um, group of of uh, writers, which I'm like, go, I do not go, go, feel that go, way. <laughs> go, Birch. You did one right. Yeah. You know, I, right. I have to acknowledge where they did good. Yeah, um, sure. But I want to circle back to truth um, because something that I fundamentally believe, and I talk about this a lot, is that there's universal truth that's like undenying and then there's your own personal truth and like Mm. I wonder um what are your thoughts about that and how do you differentiate that in your own life my mom my mom always says this to me she you know I I don't know she reminds me of that and I am curious like to you what are some examples of the universal truth just to go from there like some of the commandments like thou shall Mm. not do harm um Mm. that's like feels universal like intuitive I think truths that feel intuitive are the ones that are universal, like um, come from a place of love over hate. Um, um, Thou shall not steal. Because I think it's like when you do those things, they feel wrong where there are certain, you know, I, I see the world as gray 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not black and white at all. And law is so immalleable, especially our law. I mean, that's how people get away with so much because they know how to use the law to, 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 to get, take advantage of things. Right. Um, but I think that there are just things that like when you break those laws, those universal laws, there are repercussions. Like people, you know, it's like when people are like, oh, well, that, you know, that person who uh, money law, money laundering, what's the saying? Money laundering. Money laundering or, and they get away with so much. And I'm like, there are repercussions for that. Right. You don't see them. We might not know them and mm. maybe they get away with it, but there are repercussions in their health and their relationships. Um, it's going to have a ripple effect. It's going to impact other people. Um, I feel like there's always a sentence when you break a universal law. Yeah. I mean, I hear, I hear what you're saying and thank you for going into detail. Cause I hear what you're saying through several filters. One is like, what is agreement where we've all just mass agreed to this mm-hmm. being the law or what it is, yes. which is, I'm always questioning like, well, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Even the commandments, like who wrote those and what was the source and where are we, where are we like so conditioned by that mass agreement? But I also hear that core truth, what you're really boiling it down to is the love that's beneath it all. And then these are different ways of expressing that or like the shared sense of community, like we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And you can see that in nature, (laughs) you can see that everywhere. So, you know, I, my, I guess my personal approach to it is if you can encourage people to seek out their own personal truth, it will likely boil all down to those same things because that's what's beneath it all. Yeah. Um, but people don't always like to be told what to believe and what is true. And so that's where that, it's almost like I'm in, in a workshop, I'm parenting all these children who are in adult bodies and I'm just encouraging them to go discover what is true for you because hopefully it will lead us all into a shared communal space. And it, But sometimes you just have to be patient and let people figure out and then, you know, if you believe in other lifetimes and things like that, then you may, you may just feel like I have a friend who's like, they just weren't meant to get there in this lifetime. And that's just the way it is. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I definitely believe that. Um, I certainly yeah. believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But think, we all have a role to play, you know? I think about that a lot because I like to, I like to believe in the good of religion and there's certainly a ton of bad, um, but I like to look at all different religions and see what's the same Mm. in all of them. And like, so something that I work with a lot is the word sacrifice, because a lot of people come to me and they're like, I don't want to sacrifice anything. I don't want to take a job that I hate. I don't want to have to stop spending on Botox. Like I don't want to sacrifice. And Mm. sacrifice is in, in every religion in some way, in some ways are barbaric. And I think that like a lot of, places got it wrong and trying to understand the thing that they're that they're doing like let's go kill a sheep it's like why do we have to go do that why do we have to go kill a sheep to understand sacrifice but it was their way at that time of understanding that core like universal truth in my opinion which is that um and 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 what makes us human is our ability to prolong uh satisfaction Mm. you know i don't what has created us to where we are today is the ability to not have instant gratification, like saving for the community, saving for the collective, mm. being able to, um, you know, and then if someone went in and stole the lamb that was like meant for the entire village, then that was going to cause like 
irrefutable damage to everybody. And now we are an overconsumption consumerism and we need, 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 need. And I'm trying to reintegrate something that's so sacred as sacrifice that feels so foreign to us because we are told that we can have whatever we want whenever we want it um, in a way that isn't, I'm going to go kill my firstborn child as sacrifice yeah. thoughts. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, what I hear in that, do you listen to Charles Eisenstein or do either of you know of him? No. I'm really embarrassed to blank on the name of the, his book that talks about, I think it's called Sacred Economy. We'll put it in the notes. I'll, I'll clarify that. But I listened to him at the start of the pandemic and because uh, I was guided through some, some friends that I'm connected to. We're talking a, a lot about different ways of relating to economy and getting more out of this um, scarcity mindset and more into one of gifting and sharing. And mm -hmm. he talks a lot about that, that actually the first, econ like the initial economies that still exist somewhere as well, but it's really based in community and sharing. So let's just say there's one person in the community who's in need, maybe they're giving birth, maybe they're sick, there's something happening. The whole community will, it, you could call it a sacrifice or they're giving you know, to, th to this person in need, knowing that it will always flow back around mm. when you're in need. So it's less about owning anything and more about sharing and, and gifting. And it really challenges everything that we see around us with everything that we're programmed. But, you know, when I started studying that and coming from that place, I truly think this is why I said abundance. When you ask me what word I relate to now, because I have found that rather than holding on to everything that comes my way, I have practiced and shifted to giving everything. <laughs> so you know, when I when I have the inclination to want to give or donate or buy someone a gift or do whatever. I just follow that inclination and I'm always rewarded right away somehow through a different channel or source um, and usually financially. So just seeing that I've almost tipped the scales to where now like my focus is on how can I get rid of this and give it away and who do I want to give it to and what companies do I want to support and you know what are the black owned businesses that I want to uplift and you know I that's literally become the project for me where it's actually joyful to spend because I know I'm planting seeds for the future I want to see. And then as a result, I'm being like rewarded almost by receiving constantly. So, yeah. And that is the abundance mindset right there is that yeah. the more you give, the more you get like as simple as that. And I think all three of us, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for AJ, but it sounds like from your story and at least from my experience, I absolutely know that to be true. And have you, have either of you ever read Outrageous Openness? Mm -mm. Oh, Okay, I'll also put it in the notes, but it's like one of my favorite books. And um, it talks about more than just giving, but that that is the whole message is that like the more open you are and the more you like are in abundance and able to like ask the universe for things and give and like put out into the world, the more you'll receive. And it will like literally bring you to that level to mm. be constantly living in abundance mm. and like the, letting the universe have your back. Amen. <laughs> the universe has our back. So yep. on that note, um, before we head into our gratitudes, what is an advice that you would give somebody who's starting a business? Ooh, um, my first advice is to understand why you're starting it <laughs> mm -hmm. and like, how is this contributing to the world? Because then from there, now you start to have a core idea that like addresses a need 
Um, it also will sustain you when times get challenging that you actually care about doing this. And then once that's defined, create an LC or create, you know, make it legitimate by getting the bank account, getting all your kind of logistical, financial, legal things in place, because that's now, now you're building the foundation so that more things can grow. Um, and then I would also recommend definitely having savings aside or at least a backup plan. So like Bianca and I, you know, Bianca moved back with her parents and I was relying on Charlie for rent for a while because we just were like, oh, we actually can't pay our rent and also start this business right now. That's not everyone's story, but that was ours. So I, I think, think that's no, a lot like, of people's story. Yeah. That's also just a perfect that. example of sacrifice. Yeah. Right. And my ego hated it. <laughs> really right. Hated it. Totally. Yeah. But like it was for the greater good and like where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's patience. So, <laughs> and yes. patience. Oh, patience. That's so interesting because like you are a work mentality. I mean, you've been working since you were 14 and to mm -hmm. be in that re receiving mode of like letting someone support you must mm -hmm. have been extremely affronting. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, Charlie would always tell me like he would shift it because, because we are getting married. He's like, it's our money. Right. And like, there will be a time when you will be helping me. And he would point to his parents where his mom and his dad, when they first got married, his dad was kind of like the main breadwinner. Like he had the businesses, his parents are both entrepreneurs too. And then later in life, his mom, his dad retired. His mom now had is the main breadwinner. She has her own business. that's really thriving. And so having that model, even for me <laughs> was really helpful. Cause I'm like, Oh, it is possible that where I stand now is not where I always will be. And like, and now I have this goal of like, I am going to be the main breadwinner and have that come to fruition. <laughs> I totally get that. Brett always says to me, I'm going to be the millionaire. You are. Love that. There you are. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, you're my retirement plan, baby. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love um, it. Emily, what do you want to promote? Where can people find you? Um, what else do you want to share? Well, I can't promote one thing because we always are creating new pro programs depending on what's needed in, in the world. So just go to safespace.com, which is S-A-Y-S-P-A-C-E.com. And we have a number of programs, everything from executive coaching to our change agents program, um, which actually will launch in January and or the next round of it. Um, but yeah, we have we literally have something for everyone. That's our whole goal is that wherever you are, there's a door opening for you. So if somebody wants yeah. to bring you into their company, but they're not like what who do they who's the best mm -hmm. resource for them in their company to get you there? Again, start with anyone like we love talking to the change agents, which are people. It's not their title. It's not their role, but they want to make change. So have a conversation with us. Reach out to us on the website. We will have a phone call with you and like just support you even then. But HR talks to us a lot. Sometimes executives do. It's and, and we always do want to talk to the, like the main decision maker because ultimately we want them to understand what they're investing in and how this is going to help the business. So anyone can contact us. <laughs> that's helpful. Yeah. No, but in the, and once they contact you, where do they go? So I just, that's helpful to know. Yeah. I mean, we, because we've been in from the inside leading these programs internally, we understand kind of how that whole system works as well. So we can even help people navigate from wherever they are, what they need to do for their unique company. Fantastic. That's great. Great. Um, and you also have an Instagram that's the same name, right? Say space. 
yeah, safe space. The space is on the end. I don't know. We, we have like a <laughs> branding problem. That's okay. Yeah. People will find it's you. On the we'll also link it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Thank you. So we like to end our podcast saying three things that we're grateful for. Ooh. Um, so would you like to start us off? I'm so grateful for the two of you in this podcast. <laughs> I think it's so important what you're what you're creating as a conversation. Um, I'm grateful for Charlie and our partnership and the trust we have. And I'm grateful for Bianca and our partnership. <laughs> and <that Kristen> has. <laughs> it's all relationships. <laughs> Do you have so Love much it. Libra in your chart? Not none. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating. Capricorn Aquarius Leo. Mm. Yeah. AJ, go for it. Oh, me. Oh, um, I'm grateful for Emily and our evolving friendship. We've had, we have a really like sister soul connection of um, coming in and out of each other's lives. And I just love that our lives are growing closer and closer together. Um, I'm grateful for Amelie and this platform that we've created. Um, and she's kicking ass on social media and I'm excited. We're almost at a hundred <laughs> followers on Instagram. Wow. One more. <laughs> One more. Wow. And um I'm really grateful for my future mother-in-law. We're sitting in, um, I'm sitting in her house right now. I was wondering where you were. I'm like, is this your sound booth? Is this- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, that it looks yellow. Anyways. Yep. Super grateful. Amelie. <laughs> oh, I'm so going to keep up with this relationship theme. Um, <laughs> I'm so grateful for you, Emily. I loved this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for so many more hours. So hopefully maybe we can have you back one day. I just have so many things that I want to ask you and loved this conversation. Um, I'm so grateful for you, AJ, as well, as always. Um, I truly don't know where I would be today without you. So I love you and I'm grateful. And I'm really grateful for my mom. I actually have been like completely by myself in my apartment for the last couple of days because my partner, Frankie, went home to see his parents for Thanksgiving, COVID safe. Um, And she has been like really checking in on, not that I'm like not okay being alone, but she's like being really lovey and like checking in on me and like texting me good night and good morning. And it feels so nice. So very grateful for her. Oh, that's so sweet. So sweet. Um, but yes, it was so wonderful talking to you. Um, this is everybody's bad with money and <laughs> we are building a community one budget at a time. Woo. Thanks. Um, thank you everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Um, love you. Thank love you. you both. Bye. <laughs> Bye.